What goes up must come down. This is simply the law of gravity. I have it on good authority that the smallest member, I believe, of our congregation, I, I believe that baby Addie is the tiniest, is learning about gravity and she hates it. Every time it brings her to the ground after she attempts to walk, she rages. Like, what is that that makes me fall? Baby Addie has learned that gravity is ruthless. Peter, James, and John in our gospel this morning were annoyed at gravity too. They did not want to have to come down off the mountain after witnessing what they witnessed in the transfiguration. Remember, the disciples had left all that they had to follow Jesus, and it was not necessarily a glamorous affair. Sure, there were miracles and wonderful teachings and connections to people. They got to travel, which they wouldn't have been able to do before. But also, they were homeless. They were increasingly becoming public enemies with the radical teachings of Jesus and his propensity to break religious laws and upset the powers that be. And they missed the stability of what they had always known. Not only was this life uncertain and sometimes uncomfortable, but following Jesus, they began to see, was becoming dangerous. So imagine when they were on that mountaintop and they watched as Jesus transformed and was glowing while he was praying, miraculously, dazzlingly white, and they saw two of the most important superstars of the Hebrew Bible, Moses and Elijah, there with him. And they probably thought, finally, yes, this is it. This is our time. Finally, we're going to get some real traction here. If everybody can see this, we're going to be respected. We're going to be, we're going to be able to, to make everybody see, not just the regular old folk that we've been talking to, but the religious authority will have nothing. They'll have nothing to stand in their way of believing in Jesus. We won't be laughed at. We won't be plotted against. We won't be dismissed. All that we gave up won't be in vain. But then gravity kicked in. After Jesus spoke to Elijah and Moses about his de impending departure and what it meant, and the disciples were revived from their stupor and their fear, they had to go back to reality. They didn't want to leave for good reason. They proposed staying, right? They envisioned having a little mountaintop retreat where they could revel in this big win. Clearly, this must be the culmination of something, they thought. But Jesus and gravity brought them down to the mountain. They were not going to speak of this to anyone. Nobody would see. They wouldn't be validated. That would be that. The most incredible moment of their lives, and they have to come down from it, back into this place of danger. What happens next in the gospel reorients the disciples and the readers to Jesus' call and the wisdom of gravity. A man approached Jesus. His son had suffered from a demon. Remember that in the first century, the spiritual and physical were not separated, separated like we consider them to be today. Notice I said consider them to be. I didn't say they are. But we just consider that they're separate things. At the time, everything was tied together, and so they did not have neurologists who would have been able to order a brain scan and diagnose someone as having epilepsy. So in their primitive way of, of looking at healing, if they couldn't fix it with whatever they had on hand, they chalked it up to demons. 
I imagine if you've ever experienced a grand mal seizure, you might consider that it feels as though a demon is at the wheel. And certainly sickness and pain are as real and terrible as miraculous healings are possible in God's incredible power. But when we call what we call epilepsy, our ancestors in the first century would have called a demon, and I'm not sure either of us is wrong. But Jesus did not give them a science lesson or a theology lesson. He did not say, sorry, I don't have time for an unclean child that is probably obviously beyond help because of the medical technologies of the time. Don't you know, I was just glowing on the top of a mountain with my main dudes, Moses and Elijah. You heard of them? Check out the TikTok we did from the mountaintop. Hashtag prophet life. No. Jesus showed us what real glory looks like, even better than what he looked like when he was glowing. It looks like moments of devotion transformed into acts of service. Jesus had been praying when he was transfigured. That glow was from his conversation with God, and there is an inextricable link between our devotion, our God moments, our healings, our insights, and our service and love for others. If we want to keep the first thing going, the second one has to continue. You can't keep filling up a full vessel. You've got to keep emptying out to be refilled. There is never a revelation that you receive from God, a moment of divine inspiration or incredible love that is only for you. Every bit of peace embedded in your heart, every hard-learned truth, all the inspiration and hope and healing that lifts you it's not just for you. The way of the kingdom of God is that it is meant to be shared. It is meant to overflow out of you and onto your neighbor, your family, your coworkers, your enemies, everyone. What we do here is beautiful. It is our work together, our worship, our observance of the church calendar, our telling of the ancient stories and the way they intersect with our experiences today, our prayers, our praise, our setting of the table and sharing the meal, these things bring us into an experience of God's glory, sometimes more than others, but always with a particular grace as we lift our voices together, reaching toward the heavens. These moments are not just for us, church. They are meant to heal the world. They are an incredible benefit to us, and not just theoretical, because studies show that going to church actually lengthens your life. So well done, y'all. Keep coming. But gravity kicks in when we leave this place. And a world plagued with pain and hurt, with confusion and greed, with anxiety and sadness, with war and division, needs God's love. They need what we have, what we have been transformed by, what I can see in each of your beautiful faces. It's not enough for us to camp out here where we have been blessed. We get to turn that blessing into service. As a community here at Grace, we've been able to do an incredible thing with our campus. Every single day, people who are hurting, people who get the cops called on them, 
for just existing. People who were raped the night before, people who just lost their best friend to an overdose, come here and they get acceptance, help, food, dignity. You are a part of that. If you haven't had a chance to come down and see what happens here during the week, you must. You simply must. Call me, call Mo, plan to come down, help for a while. Watch as someone who is used to being shooed away or treated as trash is seen for what they are as a beloved child of God and watch how that transforms their countenance. They glow. It's the glory of God. And when you see that glory, allow gravity to bring you down off the mountain. Shine. See what ways you can encourage, strengthen, serve, and set free others. Each of you has a unique place in the world that nobody else has. You have a particular place of influence to work, to love, to bring joy, to offer hope, to proclaim grace. Your hospitality, your willingness to trust God, to allow the Holy Spirit to transform your moments of divine love and the outpouring of divine service, that's the glory of God too. So shine, church. Amen.